do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. So this morning, um, we're going to begin in chapter 5 of 1 John. So we're starting to wrap up this whole chapter here. And we're going to talk about what it means to overcome the world. And as part of, part of an introduction here, I want to kind of introduce myself a little bit. If you don't know who I am, my name is Brian Howe, and I'm the associate pastor here at Coastal Chesapeake. So I'm over small groups and spiritual formations, all kind of that discipleship growth stuff that we do here. And something you may or may not know about me is I love hockey. I love hockey so much so that I used to play when I was in my early teens and in my early adulthood. I would play a lot of roller hockey. Ice was too expensive for me, so I played roller hockey. I love it so much so that I even talked my wife into letting me get another pair of inline hockey skates this past week. And, and so now, 20 years later, I'm putting skates back on, and I'm going around the neighborhood having a good time. But anyway, all that to say, I love hockey, and my love for hockey started back in 1989 when this East Coast Hockey League called the Hampton Roads Admirals started playing over at the Norfolk Scope. Anybody gone to an Admirals game? They're now the Norfolk Admirals, yeah. So, so I fell in love with the game there at, at Norfolk Scope. I started learning about the game. My parents ended up buying season tickets for us, and we started going every single week, it seemed like. And I, I just loved every single aspect of it. I loved the excitement. I loved the, the pace of it, the speed. Where else can you go and dress up like a linebacker on skates and carry around a lethal weapon, right? This is a great game. So I started really enjoying hockey. And what was neat is in about the early 90s, the Admirals got really good, and they won two back-to-back -back championships. And one of those times, they won it while on the road. So they didn't win here at home in Norfolk. They won it, I, I can't remember where they were, North Carolina somewhere, Louisville. And so they won it there in Louisville. And the neat part was they invited everybody to come to the Scope when they got back in town. And they said, let's come and let's celebrate this victory. And so we went to the Scope. And we're sitting there with all the players and the coaches, and they're up on stage like this, and they're just cheering on the fans out there saying, you guys did it. Like, you guys helped us achieve this victory. And it was a great celebration where we got to partake in this victory with the admirals as they sat there, and they got to raise that cup up, and we got to meet the players and talk with them. And the whole time they were speaking, though, they were just so grateful, and they spoke to us as if we had partaken in that victory with them. But the thing is, I didn't go to Louisville. I never hit the ice with them. I never scored a goal in any of that championship series. They did it all on their own. But here I was getting to be a victor with them in this experience, celebrating the championship that they had won, and I get to be a part of that. And as we get into the fifth chapter of John, as John starts to conclude this small book for us, this is the same thing that John is telling us about Jesus, that because of Jesus and our faith in him, we can have victory to overcome the world. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip me to chapter 5 of 1 John, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5 together. <clears throat> and this morning I'm reading from the English Standard Version. In chapter 5, verse 1, my subheading is Overcoming the World, and he says this. John says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. 
For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Did, did you hear that part right there? Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. It's not just some of us will overcome the world. It's every single person that has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will overcome the world. And if this is the victory that, that he has overcome the world, it is our faith. In verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray together. Father, God, we are just so grateful that we get to partake in your victory we are so grateful that you have overcome the world and every single adversary out there. And so, Father, today, as we, as we dive into your word and we really start to unpack what John has been, been preaching here, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. Help us to know that, that there is a big, scary world out there and there are all these adversaries, but, but we can take heart and have peace and joy in knowing that you have already overcome the world. So, Father, speak through your word and through your spirit this morning. Help us to understand this. Help us to, to wrap our minds and our hearts around this. And help us to go out of here today living victorious lives for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we get into this, I just want to start unpacking this scripture a little bit this morning. And we're going to talk about what it means to have a victory achieved by faith. And so my first point this morning that I see John making in his text is to have victory achieved by faith is faith in God is demonstrated through love and obedience. So that's your first fill in the blank there. It's demonstrated through love and obedience. So, so faith in God is exhibited or proven through our love for him and love for others and our obedience to his commandments. Verse 1 again, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father has, loves whoever has been born of him. Last week, if you remember, pastors started talking about love, and he said that God is love. And he talked about communicable and incommunicable traits that, that are attributes that God has, and love is one of those communicable traits. It means that, that we can partake in that. We can have that same trait that God has. God is love. He is loving. That means he, he cares for us. He's concerned for us. He wants what's best for us. And that's something that we can receive, but we can also give back to other people. We can love God, and as the Bible tells us, we should love others because that demonstrates our love for God. See, it's, it's this care and the concern that God has for us that should compel us to love other people. You see, love is less about the person's deservedness of that love and more about our willingness to follow after what Jesus did, the example that Jesus gave us, and our willingness to go and love other people because it's who God loves. Right? It's not about the fact that we deserve it. It's about the fact that we belong to Christ. And that's what John is talking about here. He's talking about the fact that, that if we love other people, it proves the genuineness of our faith. And that's the whole point that he's drive, been driving after in this text. As you see at the top part of your bulletin, the memory verse there that pastor has given us, he wants us to know that we have this eternal life. John's been combating all of these false teachings that are out there and all of these lies that are trying to be perpetrated through these antichrists that were coming into the church. And here he's getting to the conclusion of his, of his book, and he's telling us how we can know that we have this eternal life and faith in Jesus Christ through our obedience to God and through the love for other people that have also put their faith and trust in others. So that means, as Pastor said last week, the, the, the among, those that are among us, right? It's, it's the Christians that we're going to show this love towards. We're also going to be loving towards the non-Christians, but the way we handle each other and treat each other proves the genuineness of, of our faith in this instance. See, it's this relationship that we have through God 
that gives us the ability then to love others. It's that the, the idea that God is the, the cause and the influencer of this effect of love in our life. It's nothing that we can do to, to really love others well aside from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, oftentimes, I, uh, I have a tendency to not want to be so loving and kind to people. And I think it's because I'm, I'm an extreme extrovert or introvert. And so for me to uh, really go above and beyond and love somebody, I can do it. But it takes a lot of pre-effort, if you will, to get myself ready so that I can be loving and caring and compassionate. Oftentimes I'll ask my wife, said, why in the world did God make me a pastor? I feel like I'm the most unloving person there is. And she said, because he knows that you're going to follow after God's commands. He knows that you're going to be obedient to him. But sometimes it's hard for me. Sometimes I want to tell people to go and take a hike when the thing that I need to do and will do is then love them and go after them and say, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I care for you? What can I do to show God's love to you? And I think that brings us into the next part of this. It says that we have uh, faith in God demonstrates that is demonstrated through love and obedience. And so we can't have love without then understanding obedience here. And so as we talk about obedience... It says here that God, he tells us, John is telling us that God's commandments are not burdensome. And that word burdensome, when we look at the Greek, it really means heavy. It means weighty. And so he's saying these commandments that God is giving us, they're, they're not burdensome. His commandments give us, he gives us the ability to then go forth and, and uh, do his commandments. To, they're not unreasonable and they're not beyond our ability. So he gives us the opportunity to go and to do these things. And we can do them because it's the Holy Spirit working in us that gives us that ability to do this. And so I would say this, if there's something in your life that you feel is very hard that comes from Scripture to abide by, then maybe there's something that we need to take care of in our life. Maybe there's, there's some heart posture in us. You know, oftentimes, I said earlier, I have to get my own attitude in check before I can go out and love other people. And so what I have to do first is say, Lord, what does your word say? All right, Lord, now I want to be obedient to that. So now, Lord, I'm going to go and be loving to these people because that's what you call us to do. It's that obedience that, that we have to first get our mind wrapped around and we have to surrender to. Because we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about our adversaries out there. And what our adversaries want to do is they want to tell us that this is hard. This is too difficult. You can't get through this. You can't sustain. You're never going to make it. But John tells us right here through our obedience in God that we can overcome the world. We can find this victory through Jesus Christ. And so obedience is a major part of what we're doing here. And I love how the Amplified Bible kind of breaks out verse 3 for us. It says this. It says, For the true love of God is this that we habitually keep his commandments and remain focused on his precepts. It says that we habitually keep God's commandments. So that means that what we're going to do is we're going to strive after the things that God wants us to be striving after. We're going to be seeking after, what does the Bible say? How did Jesus treat people? Let me look in this book right here and find out what Jesus did. How did Jesus love on people? What did he do to take care of their needs? And what we're going to do is we're going to be habitually striving after trying to do the same thing. As our kids were preparing for camp, we had two of them going as campers. One of them played uh, bass in the band. But as we were preparing for camp, we were talking to our kids. And we know that a few years ago, we had some, uh, a lot of pranks were going on at camp. And some of them got a little out of control. And so we're talking to our kids about this. And we're like, hey, look, when you go to camp this year, there's probably going to be some pranks. There's probably going to be some joking around. 
But there's always a line that can never and should never be crossed. Like, it's funny, it's funny, now it's not, now people are hurt, now there's trouble. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story on that one. But there's always something, a line to be crossed. So as we're talking to our kids, we're going, hey, as you get there and you're starting to talk to people and and you're, you're coming up with some things and you might play some pranks, I want you in every situation to always ask yourself, WWTD. And that's what would Ted do? Ted Sanders is one of our student volunteers. He does great. Like, I've taken him on trips with kids and students and everything. And he's always amazing because he is, like, the most even-keeled. Like, he has a ton of fun, but then he knows right where that line is. He's like, all right, guys, we got to calm it down. Let's, let's back it up a little bit. And so I was telling my kids, like, we need to really think through, like, what would Ted do in this situation? As you're at camp and you're trying to play jokes and, do, and have fun and do all these things— if you don't know where that line is, I want you to find Ted, go ask him, say, Ted, where is this line at? Am I crossing the line? And he will direct you right back to it. And that's the same thing with God, right? Remember a few years back, we used to wear the bracelets, the WWJD? How many of y'all wore those bracelets? How many of you had a t-shirt or a hat or something, right? And the bracelet was simply this. It was a reminder. What would Jesus do? Every single time we got into a situation, we were supposed to look at that bracelet and go, "Mm, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus want me to be loving right now? Would he want me to go and care for this person? Would he want me to take them a meal because they're having a hard time? What would Jesus do in this instance? And the great thing is, we might not have Jesus right here in front of our face to ask, like we can go ask Mr. Ted over there, but we have God's word right here. And everything we need to know about God and how to obey him and all the commandments and all the precepts that he wants us to know about him and how to live a life of victory in this world is found right here in the pages of this book. This is his book. This is the source of truth, and this is the source of, of all of the things that God wants us to do. And so if we're having a, having a hard time figuring out, why can I not be loving to this person? Maybe we have not gotten our mind wrapped around the fact that we need to be obedient to God first. And so what are the things that you're doing in your life? Where, where is the love that you have? Where is the obedience that you have for Christ? And once we start demonstrating those things, then, as the Scripture tells us here, it starts to become easy to obey these commandments. Jesus said that, that, that his, uh, his yoke is easy, right? He said, come to me, I'll give you rest, all of these things. And, and so we know that in God's word that we can trust everything that God has to tell us. And we know that God has the absolute best for us. And as we obey him, we can start to love other people. So our faith, it demonstrates that love. But here's the question I want to ask you. It seems like oftentimes we strive in life, and it seems like some days it's very difficult to obey God. And there's days that we feel like we are not living in any sort of victory. And I think verse 4 gives us the reason here. It kind of implies something. So verse 4, the beginning part says this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Right? And that's a great passage to rest on there and say, yes, we can overcome the world. But I think what it means here, the implication is, is that there is something against us. There's an adversary out there. If there's something that we have to overcome and defeat, that means there is something to defeat. There's something out there that is seeking to destroy us and to take away the joy and the life of freedom that we can find in Christ. So let's talk about our adversaries. So point number two, our adversaries seek to destroy our faith. I think that's the next thing that John is trying to teach us here in this passage. And if you look at your bulletin, you'll see that I've given you three different adversaries that I've listed out. The world, Satan, and self. And right there, I've given you some extra space, a blank, if you will. As we go through these, I'm going to talk about each one in just a moment. 
But as we go through these, I want you to think about how's the world attacking me right now? What's the world saying to me that's out of line with Scripture? What's Satan doing to me right now that is, uh, he's trying to deceive me? What, what's even myself saying? What's those internal voices saying? And how do I need to get those back under control? So as we go through these, I want you just to just kind of be thinking about that. Just, just pray a little bit. Say, Lord, where, where are these things misaligned in my life? And what do I need to do to get those back in line? So let's talk about these for a moment. Because our adversaries are real. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we have a real adversary out there. It might not be a physically seen adversary, but there are adversaries all around us in that spiritual realm, as is talked about here in Ephesians. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So we have a, a real adversary in the devil, in Satan himself. And then Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things of the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. There is a real adversary out there. And some of these things that I've just listed here out of Galatians, they, they point to the fact that we're living misaligned with God's word and what God wants for us. We're misaligned from the victory that he wants us to achieve. And so as we go through this, let's talk about the world for a moment, because I think the world, there's a big adversary out there, and I'm going to call the world kind of the, the external influences, everything around us that seems to be saying something to us that, that's trying to set a standard in our life. And that standard oftentimes does not align with Scripture. That standard does not often align with what God says about who He is and about what should we, how we should be living our lives in accordance to His Word. And so, so the world around us, think of this. How many of you, um, don't raise your hand, uh, but how many of you, uh, you're, you're into politics? Maybe for you, it's, it's running after that. You're trying to climb that corporate ladder, right? You're going after the, the, the money, the success. Maybe it's big houses, big cars. Maybe it's um, the news outlets that you look at. There's all kinds of external pressures in our life. And again, not everything is bad that comes at us externally. I hope that here within our Christian community, we can find positive influences that are aligned with Scripture. But there is a negative world out there that seeks to destroy us. And so here's the next one that I really want to talk about with the world. How many of you have one of these right here? One person. Okay. All right. All right. Well, then you blew my point. Thank you. But... Right here, we have at our hands one of the most powerful devices in all the world, right? We, we can actually get on here, and we can do some very positive things. We can read Scripture. We can call somebody when they're in need. We can text somebody something very encouraging, say, hey, I, I just want to share this with you. I was thinking about you today. I'm praying for you today. We can do some great things with this device right here. But I think what has happened is the world has taken this device, and they've tried to use it against every single Christian value that's out there. How many of you have a social media account? Let's go ahead and raise our hands. Let's be honest here. Let's, let's do some confession in church. It's, it's good for you, right? How many of you have found yourself just mind-numbingly doing this? I've got to stop. But I, the thing is, we, we all have social media accounts. We all have something out there that influences us. We, we all strive after something. 
And I think social media is one of the most damaging things that is out there right now for us. Again, it could be used for some good and some positive things, and maybe we need to really do some campaigning to, to get that uh, uh, those things more to the top and, and some of the negative stuff, the, uh, the external things that are negative away from us. But I think social media is one of the most damaging things that we can find ourselves on these days. I remember we went to the movies a few about a month ago, and we're sitting there waiting for the movie, and you know you've got the trailers and all that starts before. Well, now they've also started putting commercials before the trailers if you get there real early. And so we're sitting in the theater, and all of a sudden this Dove Soap campaign or commercial comes on. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. What's this all about? And you see this picture. It's a little home video of this little girl. And she's having a little birthday party, and it's so cute. And oh, her parents are so excited, and she's blowing out her candles. And the, the, the whole commercial has a lot of uh, home videos interspersed throughout. And it's showing this little girl, she starts growing up through the ages. And it shows the day that she's so excited, and she gets her first cell phone. And then it moves to her doing this. And then it shows reels of Instagram and all these social media outlets that she's following. And it starts showing clips of, of people going, now this is how a woman should look. You should be this thin and weigh this much. And here's how you measure your thigh. I remember that one like, clip stood out to me. It's a lady showing little girls, here's where to measure your thigh, and your thigh should be this big. And all these damaging things. At the end of the video, at the end of that commercial, they show these testimonials. They had this little girl and her mother on there, and she is overcoming all kinds of different anxieties and, and, and uh, stuff that social media has put into her head. She's now trying to fight against these things. And so there's a, this, is, this is Dove's campaign to fight against the negative influences of social media out there because they had all these people at the end, not just this little girl, but many people were overcome by the fact that the world says that I'm supposed to look this way. The world says that the, my gender is whatever I want it to be, so I'm so confused and I just go after whatever I want to be. And there's all these people reeling and dealing with these different addictions and afflictions because of the negative influences of the world around them. And so, guys, we have to be very careful about what we're, what we're looking at, what we're putting into our minds. We have to be very careful about the circles that we run in and the things that we go after in this life. Because here's the thing. The world, Satan himself, you've probably figured this out already, but they all kind of work together, right? It's this trifecta of, of disorder sometimes that really tries to trip us up. And so let's talk about a, little, a little bit about Satan right now. Because John 10.10, 10, it tells us this. It says, The thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We can look at the garden the, the, in Genesis 1. Or Genesis, uh, right there in the beginning of Genesis 3. Where we see that there is so much deception, so much uh, distortion that Satan told to Eve right there in a, in a quick, simple little encounter. Well, did God really say that? Is, it, is that really what Scripture says? So Satan, he is the master of, of adversary. He is our master, chief adversary here. And he is the one that is against God's love so much because here's, here's Satan's tactic. Satan knows that he is defeated. Right? We could see that right here in this book. God has told us that there's an end coming for Satan, and Satan knows it. And so what Satan wants to do he wants to sow seeds of doubt. He wants to destroy our purpose, and he ultimately wants to silence our witness. Satan does some of his best work right here. He's not worried about the people on the outside of this building that are non-Christians, that don't believe in God. What he wants to do is he wants to get in here and trip each and every one of us up. That's his tactic. If I can take a few of you down 
then I can have influence on the external world outside of here, and you will never, ever get the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. That's his, t- that's his tactic. That's what he wants to do. He wants to trip us up so bad that, that we can be completely ineffective for anything kingdom-minded. And let's talk about self, the last one here, because as we look through this, we know that the Bible is the source of all truth because it's the book written by God himself. He tells us everything we need to know about it. He tells us everything we need to know about him, everything we need to know about having a relationship with him, everything we need to know about ourselves. And so I want to talk about ourselves for a minute because I think this is a battle that most of us face down, and it's, it's, it's our chief adversary aside from Satan. I think oftentimes we've let the world, we've let Satan, we've let all these external things really begin to influence us. And there comes a time in our head that we start to believe the lies that the world has given us. We start to believe the lies that Satan has told us. Well, you're just not good enough. Well, you're not pretty enough. Well, you're not rich enough. You're not famous enough. Did God really say this? And as we hear all those external influences in our life, pretty soon we get in this little cycle. The doubts creep in. The fears creep in. The worry starts to creep in. Because we've set aside the truth of God's Word, and now we're relying more on our head knowledge versus what God says is the truth. There's a, again, there's this campaign out there. It's going against all these different things, and it's funny that a beauty... Uh, Manufacturer is the one leading the, the, the charge on that. But I think it's an important thing because not only do we have people worrying with uh, you know, their looks, but there's also a, a huge concern now about anxiety. Anxiety is one of the most prevalent things. How many of you went through COVID and you started hearing all the statistics of, of people that were having all these uh, anxiety issues and worries and just unsettled fears that were coming into their life? I, I read an article in USA Today this gentleman was writing an article on anxiety. He said, anxiety is this. It's the persistent worry that can manifest about everyday situations, but is often rooted in concerns about something unknown or yet to come. And so we get wrapped up in the what ifs. Well, what, what if this thing happens? Or what if this thing over here happens? Or what if, what if this thing happens? And then, oh, I got to prepare and I got to think through this and I got to know every single possible outcome and scenario. He goes on to say that anxiety is often triggered by a real or perceived threat, especially in situations where one is unsure of potential consequences or outcomes. It's the overthinking of such outcomes that perpetrates the anxiety or perpetuates anxiety. We get so wrapped up in our mind, and Satan knows he can get us right there. He can influence us through our phones. He can influence us through other people. And then we get into our own mind and we get unsettled, we get worried, we get fearful, we get concerned. I think there's a, a, a real challenge in that that we have as a church, right? Because oftentimes we don't want to admit those things. Oftentimes we want to sit over here by ourselves in our own worry, in our own doubt, our own anxiety. And we're fearful to share that with people because they might think that we're less than But guess what? Every one of us is broken. So let's be okay with being broken. Let's be okay with sharing that. Let's be okay with saying, hey, I'm not the greatest at loving people. Hey, I worry about this all the time. Let's be okay with these things. 
because God tells us we can live a life of victory and we don't have to live in the shame. We don't have to live in the fear. We don't have to live in, in the, you fill in the blank on that of who you once were. The Bible tells us that we've put off that old self and we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus and we have overcome the world and have victory through our faith. That is who we are. And so point number three is that we overcome by faith in Jesus. There's a real adversary out there, but Jesus has already defeated him. Jesus has already defeated every foe that we will ever have in our life. And so verse 4, last part of that verse, into verse 5 says this, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That statement's a little bit confusing if you first read it because it's, a, it's really a question and an answer with a question mark at the end. So let's really break this one apart for a second. It says, who is it that overcomes the world? Well, it's the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so all of our adversaries out there, all those external influences, that world around us, Satan, even our own self, has been defeated through Jesus Christ. And if we put our faith and trust in him, we can overcome the world. Again, the Bible is the source of all truth. That's what John has been writing about here. He's been writing to, to go against all of the adversaries, all the antichrists that were coming into the church and saying, well, you know what? Well, the Bible kind of says this. So what you've believed formally, that doesn't matter now. And so he's saying, no, we've got to be prepared to go against these antichrists. And we've got to understand that this is the true source of truth in the world, and there is none other. And so we overcome by understanding these things. In John 16, 33, John recounts Jesus' words to his disciples. Right before his betrayal and arrest, he says this. He says, I have said these things to you that, it may, that you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. Let's be clear about that. A life surrendered to Jesus does not mean that we will never ever have tribulation or pain or any of these things. Jesus says right here, but you will have peace. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. So this is the victory that we can have. This is the victory that we can achieve through Christ. And I love what Pastor John Piper said about this, uh, these verses here. He says this. He says, faith, that faith says to every temptation of the world, no, be gone. I know where your true satisfaction is to be found. God has loved me with an infinite love. He promises to work everything together for the good of those who love him. He withholds no good things from those who walk uprightly. Nothing you offer, world, can compare to the joy of his fellowship now and the glory to be revealed forever. World, you have lost your power. I have become the glad slave of a good master. His yoke is easy, and his burden of his commands is light. This is the God that we serve. He is the one that wants us to live a life of freedom and victory and share in the peace that he can give us. I think Pastor said a few sermons ago, victory in Jesus does not mean that, that we get to go out there and just conquer every hill for his name's sake. What it means is we face tribulations, we face trials, we face temptations, we face down all of these things. We can have victory through Christ, but even if we fail and fall flat on our face, we can still have the assurance that we are saved by his grace and have a relationship with him and we can live in that peace and that joy for all eternity. And so as we kind of want to get to the next part here and kind of start talking about application here. So how do we overcome the world? We've been talking a lot about having that victory and overcoming the world. So I want to give you three quick things. First thing is this. We must have a relationship with God through Christ. 
That is the very foundational primary thing that we must do to have this victory and to overcome the world. So here at Coastal, every time you step into this sanctuary, every time you come into one of our, uh, hear a sermon of someone up here preaching, we hope that the gospel is presented. We ask that to be done every single time. And we've made the gospel kind of three things that we try to make it easy for you. It's first thing is this, that Jesus is God. Second thing, he died for our sins. And thirdly, he bodily resurrected through his own power, giving us the victory over sin, over the world, over Satan, over ourselves, so that we can live this life of victory. So this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope today you would make this day the day that you've trusted him and received this victory and overcome the world. At the end, we're going to have a prayer team down here. We'll invite you to come on down at the end of the service, and you can talk to one of our prayer team partners, and they can help you to understand what this relationship is all about. But this is first point number one. You have to have faith in Christ. You have to have this relationship with him to receive the victory that's being talked about here. Second thing is this. To overcome the world... We must know and engage with the truth. Again, John's been talking about truth all through this book. He's been talking about how, to we, how we engage with this truth. And here in the Gospel of John, John 10, 10, again, I told you the first part of that verse earlier. It says the thief comes, Satan comes, to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus, these are his words, But I, Jesus, came that you may have life and have it abundantly. See, this is the hope that we have in Christ. We can know the truth of God's word and know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Galatians 5, 19, and 21, we talked about all these works of the flesh, right? The impurity, the immorality, the adultery, the, the jealousy, the envy, the rage, all these things. But it goes on in Galatians 5, 22 to 26, and it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. What have we been talking about in this book? We've been talking about love, right? The fruit of God's Spirit in our life, once we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and begin to understand the truth, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control, and against such things there is no law. All of these things sound so much more victorious than what was previously mentioned in Galatians. That's why John says that Jesus' commands, his, his burden, that is not burdensome, it's a light load to carry, because once we start living into the truth of who Jesus is and who we are in light of him, we can start to understand this life of victory that he wants us to live, and things become a lot easier for us. I think it's also important why, as we gather together like this, it's important, one, that we get into God's Word together. We pray together. We should do those things individually. But as we are stepping into the fall season coming up, we, we also think that Christian community is very important. So at Coastal, we say we want you to connect, grow, and serve. We connect in, in settings like this, in corporate worship. We come together. We read God's Word together. We pray together. We do all this stuff. But then we also want you to grow in the truth of who He is and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want you to engage with that scripture. And so we do that through small groups and spiritual formations. So in the beginning of September, we're going to have our small groups starting back up. And we've got 10 of them this year. So we went from like seven last year to 10 this year. So it's amazing if you've not gotten into a small group, I want you all to find a small group and get started 
September 10th, that whole week, is when we start small groups coming up. And so what we're going to do in August, at the end of August, we're going to have a little small group leader meet and greet. They don't know this yet, but they're going to be standing around the sanctuary, and we're going to have little posters with their name on it. And it's just going to be a time for you all, if you've not yet connected in with a small group, to go up to meet those leaders and get engaged into a small group because we want you to know the truth of God's Word, and we want you to be able to engage with us as we study this together. And here's the great thing. Like, I think most people think... Well, I can't have a relationship with God yet because I've not gotten myself cleaned up. I don't have myself, all these problems worked out. I still suffer with anxiety. I still have doubts and fears. You just don't know my past. There's a lot of shame I'm dealing with. Like, God would not want me. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, first comes faith. First is the justification. We are made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and our belief in Him. So what we do is we receive the gospel. We believe who Jesus is and we confess our sins and we start this relationship with Him and then we enter into this relationship with God and begin to transform our life, allowing Him to transform our life through the sanctification process. In verse, uh, let me read you Colossians 3, 1-4. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I think verse 4 is very telling right there. It says, Christ, who is your life. This leads me to my last point. For us to achieve this victory over the world, we must understand our identity in Christ. And what I'm going to do here next, I'm going to rattle off some verses, read them out loud to you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up as I do this. But this is going to be kind of our closing here. And I want you to hear the words from God himself straight from his book about who you are. In 1 John, or excuse me, in John chapter 1, verse 12, he says that we're a child of God. He said, but to you who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he says, uh, in fleeing from sexual immorality, he says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one with him in spirit. This is who you are. We are a child of God. We are joined with God through the Holy Spirit. He comes into our life at that moment of salvation, and he lives with us forever. So we are prince and princesses of the Lord Almighty, and his spirit dwells within us. Romans 5, uh, excuse me, 6, 5 through 6 says, For if you have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We are victors over the sin that enslaves us. If there is something in your life today that you say, I just cannot overcome it, that's okay. God will forgive it, and we will help you and work with you, and and you can find Christian community and other people that will encourage you in your walk to overcome those sins. John, over and over in this book, he says that we are beloved by God. He says multiple times that we are forgiven by God. Don't, don't forget in Genesis, whose image you are made in. Genesis 1, 27, he created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you're not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who you are. You are forgiven by God, and you have received his mercy. Romans 8, 37 and 39, Paul speaks about God's everlasting love. 
He says, knowing all this, all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We have overcome the world. We have conquered the world. We have conquered Satan. We have conquered all those voices in our head. He says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor rulers, nor nothing present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor nothing else in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of Christ our God. This is how God sees you. This is who you are. And this is how we need to start seeing ourselves. We need to overcome the world. And we can't overcome the world because we belong to the one that has brought us into this victory. So here's my final thought. I want you to know that no, no matter where you are, whatever's going on in your life, no matter how hard things are right now, no matter the shame, the guilt, whatever you're feeling, that God has already overcome the world and all of your adversaries. And he's brought you into his victory. We get to celebrate the championship that he has won. And he's given each and every one of us to experience his never-ending, unfailing love. So here's what I want us to do, two things. First, let's start loving ourselves because we are beloved by God. Let's shut out all the negative influences. Let's shut off all those voices in our head and realize how much God loves us. Realize how much we are loved and are forgiven. And so that too, we can then go into the world into the world and show the world God's love. Let's start loving one another the way that Christ loves us. Let's pray. Father, we, we are just so grateful for the victory you've achieved for us through Jesus Christ. God, we are so grateful that no matter what sin we find ourselves involved with, no matter what temptation comes our way, no matter how many times we fall flat on our face, that you are a forgiving God, that you are a God full of grace and mercy, and that you are a loving God, and that you want to love us, and that you do love us. And you want us to pick ourselves up and through the power of your Holy Spirit, dust ourselves off and say, you know what, that day, I messed that day up, but tomorrow's a new day. Help me, Lord, to live victoriously in the freedom that you have given me, in the peace that you have given me. And not look back to that old self, not look back to the past of what has happened, but look forward to the future of what God has already done in my life and what he will do. So God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the fact that we can read words to say that we are also overcomers of this world, that we partake in your victory. And Lord, today, if there's one here that is struggling with something that, that is just beyond their ability, would you help them surrender that today? Would you help them to put aside that anxiety, to put aside that worry, to put aside that old self of whatever they may have been involved with? Maybe it's some sort of impurity. Maybe it's some sort of idolatry. Whatever the case, Lord, let them experience your love today. And if there's one that has not put their trust in you, I pray that today would be that day. That they say yes to you and say to the world, be gone from me because my God loves me. God, my God cares for me. And I have victory through him. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name.